Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is up, all of you beautiful people, and welcome back to the All Eyes podcast. I'm your host, Robert Donaldson, alongside my co-host, Thad Nelson. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at RobDFB. And for Thad, you can follow him at TNels20. I mean, you know, it's it's another year of Iowa football. We're both great follows on there. I get really sad on Sundays, usually because my teams suck. And uh, none of my favorite football teams, as far as college and NFL go, can actually move the football offensively. Um, so it's, it's pretty much the same experience Saturday and Sunday and kind of borderline tortured sometimes. Um, Thad, uh, you know, it, I was now all of a sudden in this weird spot where finally we're starting to see some offense, you know, show up a little bit. I mean, I wouldn't say it's at a good level, but, um, you know, what are your thoughts? Um, now that the, cause we didn't do a podcast last week, so we didn't talk about Nevada. Um, so now we have two games under our belt with Nevada and Rutgers where at least Spencer Petrus was completing passes, you know, and, and not nose diving into the turf. I mean, what what have your been your takeaways the past couple of weeks as far as just general um, thoughts on the offense? Going back to the Nevada game, we were able to see at least um, what the offense maybe could look like when you get a couple receivers in there and you're able to rotate guys and and get some of the options that you want. They took several deep shots, uh, Keegan Johnson, uh, the completion to Regani, or as now we found out Ragaini. Uh, I'm not sure which route. I'm going to go here. I'm probably going to default to a lot of habits uh, with that one. But that we saw him try to get Brody Brecht involved quite a few times. And run game, we saw some big plays from Caleb Johnson. Uh, Offensive line still struggled in a lot of situations, but some improvements. Not a very good defense. Uh, Rutgers, a team that's been holding other teams to not much on the ground. So it was really good to see um, some holes for really especially uh, Williams and Caleb Johnson, again, being able to turn out some yardage. We saw some of the counters and not really power, but just some of those gap schemes and even some of the outside zone open up more than it's been opening up in the past. And I don't think Rutgers is a top half Big Ten defensive line, but it's still at least nice to see uh, there was some consistent like seven yard run, eight yard run, you know, they break out the 21-yard run. We saw a little bit of consistency, and we're seeing the emergence of Caleb Johnson maybe as that, you know, top guy, and then letting uh, Sean, letting him be that kind of power back that comes in every once in a while. And he's more effective in that. I think he's more effective if he's 12 to 13 carries than he is if he's 21 carries. Um, I think he can be that bruising guy a lot easier in those situations than if he's, you know, really having to tote the ball a lot. Uh, And then lastly, with the pass game, almost no receiver looks against Rutgers, but Laporta, Lachey, they were able to combo those guys on a couple routes. And Petrus, I thought, had his best game in a long time. He threw in rhythm uh, he he was able to hit outlet guys a couple times. He was decisive. He didn't double clutch the ball as much. Uh, you know, what have I liked? Maybe a couple more shots downfield, and I'm sure we'll talk about route trees and all of that um, as well. But it, it gave me a little hope of saying, okay, maybe it won't be the worst offense in the entire nation when it all ends this season. Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. Um, and I, and I think you know, getting um some healthy pieces back like Keegan Johnson, um, and him starting to really get away from those early season injuries is going to be a big addition, a, a a massive addition even. Um, and you know, we start we kind of talked about it in our our Slack group chat, uh, blackheartgoldpants.com. Um, just because it was brought up, and I saw this a lot on Twitter of the idea that Spencer Petrus was like keying in on um, Sam Laporta, right? And it's not something that um, 
it's new as far as talking about with um, an Iowa quarterback tar- um, keying in or locking in on a, like a tight end, for example, in the passing game rather than like a, a dynamic receiver. You know, it gets talked about a lot, but you have to understand that when 75% of the pass plays are literally the first progression or the main progression in that um, in the development of the play is designed for the tight end. And if the tight end is even slightly open and you pass it up, that's a, that's a bad play. You got to take what's what's there. You know, you can't throw to a player who's on the backside of a play jogging, not expecting the ball. I mean, he might be the guy who is the better player and the better receiver and more dynamic. But if he's not involved in the play, he's not involved in the play. And a lot of these play calls are really just kind of shaping up to be one, two checkdowns. You know, it's a lot of rollouts where you're limiting half the progressions in the play um, or potential progressions in the play rather. Um, and a lot of these, you know, are, are just kind of designed for, listen, you know, the offensive line is not playing well as far as pass blocking is concerned. We just need to get the ball out of your hand, Spencer, as quick as we possibly can. And, uh, just kind of go from there. If it's not open, you throw it away or just make it hard for the defender to at least catch the ball. Um, it's kind of how a lot of these are boiling down to, but, um, you know, it's, it's still, it's still nice to finally see some connections down the field. Um, because Spencer was missing throws, um, like layup throws at the beginning of the year. I mean, it's not like there would have been dynamic plays, but he's just missing wide open throws. At least he's starting to iron out that a little bit, um, which is a, a massive step when you're just talking about rhythm and moving the ball and controlling the ball. Um, but ultimately, you know, the star of the show the past couple weeks has been Caleb Johnson. I mean, this guy is the number one back um, as far as just talent's concerned and the guy who should be touching the ball 20-plus times per game. Um it's going to be a fun little matchup with uh, Michigan and um, Iowa this upcoming weekend, just looking at the running backs on both teams, because I think they're very similar in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, I, I'm excited to see uh, Caleb Johnson's development as the season goes on, because I really think he could become a real focal point um, and a real, um, I guess, key turner for this offense to actually experience some more success down the road. We heard that he was performing um really well in camp. And that was kind of one of the very few nuggets that leaked out that he looked really good. And you can really see why he was a a highly rated recruit coming out of Ohio, a guy that was a four star by most. Um, Iowa was able to get him to, to flip a commitment a little later in the recruiting season. And you can see why he's big. Um, He just glides when he runs. And I think it really shows up on his kick returns. You see him seemed decisive but he just covers so much ground and he glides and and you saw when he would run away from guys in that Nevada game that that they think they have the angle and it doesn't look like he's going that fast but he's covering so much ground and I said when he kind of first came in that that first game he looks just a a build that isn't like a lot of guys that Iowa's had for a while Um, just how big and fluid he is he reminds me of a guy that you would see Michigan State have. I, I just think when I see him, he just looks like a lot of those Michigan State backs, those big guys that can really move. Uh, we saw him catch a pass the other day, and I hope that's something they can continue to use him in. And that's one area I think the staff has done a better job of, instead of forcing the running backs, especially in those third-down shotgun plays, instead of forcing them to stay in there and pass block, it's okay to go out and run a route and be a a drop-off guy, or maybe it's a, a Texas route, or maybe it's just kind of leaking out somewhere. It's okay to do that, and you don't have to give those guys and force them to be pass blockers. And I always picked up some yardage on that, on kind of non-traditional pass plays where he's not an option or somebody's not an option, just getting them the ball. But he's looked great. Uh, he's shown that he can pick up tough yards. He's a guy that can run outside zone really well as well. Um, and he, as he learns the patience of that, I think he's going to get even better because he's someone who can press the hole and then get in there and, and make that one cut. So I've been really impressed with the way he's looked and think you'll continue to see his carries um, be the, the top guy. So at the end of the game, when you're looking at carries, I think that 15 to 18 number is ideal for him going forward and then mix in the other guys. I think Gavin's kind of probably just going to become the third down back is what it looks like. And, and then the other two are going to be in that 18 carries for uh, Johnson. And then if you can get Williams at you know 12 to, to 14, I think those are really good combo numbers for those two. 
Yeah, and you know, you brought up his style, and there's not a lot of um, former Iowa running backs like you alluded to that you can really point to and say that you know he kind of runs similar to that guy because he, like you said, he's a glider man. I he, he reminds me of like watching Melvin Gordon um, who ended up running like a four four forty, and it just never felt like that. But you just knew that he was eliminating every pursuit angle that he had. Um, just because he's a bigger guy and he strides, he's not you know quick tapping his feet with a compact running style like you might see like Akron Wadley back in the day. Um, or maybe like a Jordan Kanziri who was like more compact and it just felt like he was flying, but you know, he wasn't really beating a whole lot of people at, you know, straight line speed. He was more like I can make you miss in open field kind of speed um, or quickness. If you want to kind of allude to it that way, I think with Caleb Johnson, you know, he reminds me a lot of like Ezekiel Elliott stylistically wise. I don't think he's as hard of a runner. Um, and I think he's probably like, I don't know, 15 pounds lighter than Zeke, but, um, he still runs with that almost like kind of squatted stance when he's behind the line of scrimmage, when he gets out in speed, uh, gets out in open field, he's a glider. And, um, you know, he has like almost like a slight forward lean, like you would see a Zeke with, and he can really just bend in between tackles. It feels like, or in between linebackers. It's a, he's a fun player. I think he's going to be a really fun player, really exciting player. Um, but man, I, it's, it's this is a podcast we're talking about we're doing a preview of of Michigan I mean this is a massive game we can talk about Rutgers a little bit but ultimately it was kind of boring <laughs> outside of Cooper DeGene the defense still showing up Tory Taylor still being great I mean offensively it was improvement but it's not like it's something we have oh I, I can't wait to talk about this offense I mean there's still a lot of you know issues with the offense and that is going to be I think um, season-long issues because a lot of it I don't think is ultimately fixable until you fix the coordinator. Um, that said, um, you know I I just kind of want to talk about Michigan. I don't know about you. Do you have anything about Rutgers um, in particular that you kind of want to um, talk about before we transition? <laughs> no, other than just uh, as you mentioned, Cooper DeGene continues to play really well at all those different positions. Uh, and just the versatility that they're finding with him to be able to say, play corner, go play cash, go back to corner. Castro, you come in, play cash. We need you here. Uh, they're just getting so much production from so many different guys and from so many different spots. It's been amazing. And then the defensive line, uh, man, Rutgers quarterback. I doubt he's walking around very well, even yet today. Um, maybe by Wednesday, I, he got absolutely demolished all game um he got smoked i feel like 80 percent of the time he was going back he had somebody affecting his his platform affecting where he wanted to go so the defensive line continues to cause problems against again an offensive line that that struggled on the interior iowa will see a much better uh, offensive line this week with michigan but the defensive line uh and secondary have just been so good so that's been really good to see, and they're going to need every bit of that this week. Agreed. And, um, yeah, man, it's it's a tough test offensively because, you know, Michigan is one of those teams that um, really likes to get on the outside, right? I mean, it's like one of those teams like a Penn State in years past, Ohio State. Uh, Michigan's now falling under that same boat. Every single one of their plays, it feels like, ends up outside the hash in some, whether it's like an inside run um ends up being like a zone run ends up being bounced outside, um, which Blake Corum literally tries to do on every single play if possible. I mean, he has elite speed. He, um, he's a tough guy to tackle in open field. And so far this year, they've only played undisciplined defenses. Um, you know, you'll see the second that um, he make he makes even like a forceful push inside. You see the outside corners and, and the fill players just crashing down and, and losing all integrity of the sideline and, and lose the edge. I mean, but even now, um, it's hard to talk about Michigan without looking at the quarterback position, right? I mean, that's been sort of the talk of that the first four weeks. And now with Cade McNamara hurt, um, it's it's J.J. McCarthy's uh, show for the next couple of games, most likely. Um, and it has been the past two games. Um, you know, obviously, J.J. McCarthy is a former five-star recruit, very highly touted, very talented as far as his arm talent goes and athleticism. And you can definitely see why he was billed as the five-star recruit he was. 
But what are your thoughts on just the in-game? Um, now that we kind of remove, you know, the prospect, you know, he's becoming a player. Like he's an actual um, tangible player that's out there playing. What are your thoughts on him so far through the first two games? They're giving him a lot of a lot of safe items. I mean, if you look at their their passing chart, the bulk of his throws, like most quarterbacks, but the bulk of his throws are within ten yards uh, of the of the line of scrimmage. A huge amount. I mean, they just absolutely feast on like the little crossers, things you know, where he's just hitting guys in the middle of the field and letting his playmakers go make plays. Uh, his numbers on those short routes are ridiculous. You know, within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, I think he's close to 85, 90% passing, and they're just feasting on that. Um, so they're getting a lot of good looks from that, and then he's able to to get the ball into those guys' hands. I, I'm surprised they're not using him uh, as a runner quite as much. But if I'm looking at it honest, when I, when we, I think back to what they did last year, as an offense and as we're getting ready for the Big Ten championship game, I don't see that their pass game with him is better than it was last year. Um, now, maybe that's going to change because he hasn't played, they haven't played very much and they've been able to just run the ball at will against everybody. So whatever he does in the passing game has kind of been gravy, but I don't feel like it's been necessarily that they've gotten a boost out of him in their pass game compared to what they had last year. I would agree. Um, I think, you know, he obviously is just probably scratching the surface, but a lot of it's just kind of sharp outs, uh, spacing calls, crossers, like you said, and then they'll mix in, you know, they have deep posts in there and they have go routes in there and he likes to, he definitely likes to sling it. If you watch Maryland, you know, I mean, this is a guy who's not, not lacking confidence in his ability to make a throw anywhere. I mean, I would say confident, but recklessly so. Um, there was a throw against Maryland where he's, you know, they're in the red zone or, or borderline red zone, maybe the 30 yard line or so. And he's on a far hash away from the, the left side of the end zone. And he just fucking wings it like into double coverage all the way across the field, which ends up, you know, a 30 yard throw ends up being like a 50 yard throw or feeling like that. And it's nearly picked off. And, and there were some multiple times where he's just like, yeah, see, I can probably just put it on him and let's try to make a play. And that's good when you're playing against Colorado State and, and, and Maryland and, and whatever else. But you're not going to have a lot of those opportunities against Iowa. And if you do, you know, I mean, just look at the Cooper DeGene play. I mean, just look at Riley Moss back there. They're going to make plays on the ball. So, and they're not going to drop it. What we what have we said about Iowa since the last five years? You know, they have more interceptions and people think it's a fluke. It's not a fluke. They just catch the balls that they're supposed to catch because they actually have good hands in the defensive backfield. They're not they're not like the normal corners who the pass will hit them right in the chest and they drop it. If the pass hits them anywhere near their frame, they're going to make the play nine times out of ten. So when you watch J.J. McCarthy the first um, couple games, I really listen again. Gunslinger athletic is all hell he can make plays he's going to extend some plays against iowa and, and be a real annoyance on some plays and he's going to throw some balls that are just like wow damn how do you fit it 15 yards down the field in a blink but there was a lot of recklessness um you talked about you know him not running the ball enough when he did run it against maryland his ball security was so suspect he was carrying around like he was michael vick I- i'm sorry like there's one player that can do that and his name is michael vick <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you know, throw it down to your side, throw it below your next to your kneecap, running around with one hand on it and just start spinning around and, um, you know, doing. And he, there's also an aspect of oh, that's how he carries himself when he's in a passing play, too. You know, there's a play near the the they were backed up near their goal line and it was nearly a strip sack because he just dropped his ball next to his next to his waist um, he was kind of recklessly carrying. It wasn't high and tight, you know, and that's the new kind of norm with a lot of these gunslinging quarterbacks. They're not going to be prototypical pocket passers. But, man, there were so many turnover-worthy plays against Maryland and even against Colorado State where it just makes you jump out and say, I think Iowa can steal a couple from this guy. And what? It, that's how Iowa wins games, How wins these types of games in particular. You know, and, and I think that he's going to be – 
I think we steal a couple from him there. The thing that, that I'm going to watch with this is last year when I was, I was getting ready to play him and with McNamara, I thought just his lack of size gave Iowa um, the opportunity to get their hands on a few passes. And I do think that's one thing that McCarthy with his threat to run and to scramble and make plays off schedule. Um, it does two things. I think that, that I was really going to have to focus on it. It, probably calms down Iowa's pass rush, which is one of their best attributes on defense. Uh, The defensive backs get a lot of credit for their interceptions, which have been good, but interceptions are usually a product of a pass rush. You know, quarterbacks releasing the ball earlier before they want to pressure forces them to, to be off a back foot. The ball sails interceptions are so much a, a product of a pass rush in most situations. So, he does force Iowa to not maybe rush as hard. And I thought in the Iowa State game, Iowa sometimes probably didn't send quite as much pressure on the outside at Deckers as they could have because those guys were really forced to contain. And Deckers hasn't shown the ability that McCarthy has in the past to take off and run. So I do think that's one place that Iowa is going to really try to force him to be in the pocket and show then he can make those throws. He's got the talent too. And as you said, he'll try to fit some windows and he's capable of fitting those windows. The question is, does he have to do it off a back foot and the ball sails a little bit? Or does he have to do it rolling out and cross his body a little bit and somebody's able to undercut it? And that's what this Iowa defense has done such a good job really over the last you know 15 years of making quarterbacks pay for those reckless mistakes. I have to imagine Michigan is going to try to to let him, you know, make some big plays, you know, try to try to get some easy, easy throws and try to break a few big ones and hurt Iowa that way, as opposed to making him just be consistent for 60 minutes, because I think their best option is, you know, hit a couple big plays, whether it's a pass game or run game, as opposed to making a young quarterback go into Kinnick Stadium and beat this Iowa defense with his mind or by being overly patient and that's something that phil parker is going to make i think is going to try to make him be patient and is he willing to take the underneath stuff all game long or is he going to get impatient and chuck one downfield yeah and i think that's going to be the key i think for 90 percent of the time against iowa as opposed to against um you know colorado state or maryland he's gonna be turned into a game manager right he just needs to make the throws that are there um, again, a lot of spacing calls, a lot of crossers, a lot of quick outs. You just got to make those throws. Um, I think where he might get in trouble and I think what my Iowa might do just based on how they played, you know, Brock Purdy in the past and quarterbacks who like to get outside the pocket and, and ad lib. Um, I think they're going to play a little bit contained on, on the, on the defensive end side. You know, I don't think it's going to be pinning your nose back, brush the passer, allow him to get outside the pocket. I think they're going to contain him to the pocket and say, beat us down the field and maybe he, I think he can get antsy. And based on what we've seen, we saw against Maryland, there were some plays where he had a lot of time and it just felt like he got a little bit antsy. Like, Oh, where's my internal clock at? Uh, I'm freaking out a little bit. And it usually did not result in a, in a good play down the field for him. So I, and I think ultimately because of that reason, you have to look at Blake Corum as the guy who's going to try to carry this offense. And He's a great player. I mean, um, we've seen him um, a couple years now. Um, <laughs> he's a guy that, you know, it, it, he can break a game. Um, he likes to bounce it outside, so I was going to definitely protect against the sideline, um, almost like a funnel, just to try to make him run in between the tackles. And and here's the thing with him. I And I think this is kind of one of those things that Iowa does extremely well. You know, you – Corum might go off for 180, 200 yards in this game. But if all that does, if all the bulk of that yardage comes on, say, three drives and only amounts to 17 points, I'd see that as a win. I mean, I think back to the Penn State game against Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley went for over 300 yards of total offense, and Penn State, with 27 seconds left in the game, had only had scored 14 points. So it didn't really matter because ultimately – they came on two drives where they made two big plays and the rest of the game, you know, Iowa did not allow Saquon Barkley to be a continuous killer. What would kill Iowa is if 
every single fucking carry he has is seven yards and there's moving the bar ball all the way down the field and they're getting field goals and they're getting touchdowns. If he breaks off an 80 yard run and then another 80 yard run and then the rest of the game has a 1.8 yard per carry average, that's an absolute win. We would take that. And, um, I think that's how Iowa wins these types of games when you have a, a game breaker on offense. And at some point he's going to make a guy miss. He's going to, you know, shed a tackle and and make some big plays that's just he's really good and that's what he does really well as well as anybody in the country is you know make a guy miss and not just like a a move and and make him whiff he sheds those tacklers he's really strong through his lower half Um, he dips his shoulders and makes those arm tackles brush off he's really good at that and he has the opportunity and the, the ability to break one but as you said if you can keep him contained and don't let him chew out, chew up first downs. You know, that's where, that's where it becomes a big issue. If he's chewing up first downs, then I was going to be put in a really tough position. But if, if they're containing him, they're making it, you know, second and eight, third and six, then all of a sudden Iowa has a, has a chance to, to hang around in this. But if, you know, as you said, if it's six, if it's seven, 15, 11, then it's in trouble. And, you know, I'm interested to see after a couple big workload weeks for him, uh, how he does. And and he might come back and say, yeah, I had what, 35 carries or whatever it was last week. And I give me another 30, maybe, but you know, do we see a little bit of fatigue there? Do we see, um, some of those hits? I was going to tag him a couple times. Um, so do we see those accumulate on him? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but it's something I'm going to be watching closely and also just monitoring. Are guys able to get him down early in the play? Are they letting him you know, get through one and it's the second and third guy every time? And the defensive backs are really going to have to be good because, as you said, he's going to want to get outside. So guys like Castro, guys like Merriweather, you know, the corners are going to have to be really sure tacklers and get him on the ground early. Yeah, I and you know Iowa tags people differently. You know they don't hit like Maryland, they don't hit like Colorado State. They're gonna hit like Iowa. I mean, from the second level, first level, third level, you have guys all across the field who can make tackles in open space. They can make sure tackles and they can lay the boom on you. So how many times are you gonna willingly, you know, flare out on a screen pass if you know that you know without that kind of back of your mind feeling of there's a guy barreling down on you. It'll be interesting to see. And and like you said, he's coming off a large, large workload week. Um, didn't get hit a lot. I mean, like I said, they, they bounce him outside a lot. So it's a lot of, you know, corner tackles or running out of bounds or just exploding into the end zone like he, he did last week. But still, I mean, there's could be fatigue, um, especially early on if I was able to make some stops and hit him hard. Could be a game changer, uh, especially down the road because, you know, the way Iowa loses this game is if, like we just kind of talked about, if on third downs, they're converting third and six, they're converting third and seven, they're converting third and fives, and, you know, it, it's methodical. Um, the big plays ultimately would not kill Iowa in this game. It's the it's the taxing domino effect of staying out on the field, not being able to get off the field when you can. Um, that would end up burying us. I thought your, your Saquon comp and how Iowa – you know, he was obviously the bulk of their offense that game and Penn State ends up winning. But that comp is so important in just not letting him chew it up the whole time. And when he does have the ball, you've got to rally. And that's something this Iowa defense does a really good job of is rallying to the ball and try to make it look like the first half of the Big Ten championship looked like where it was a mess, where it was, you know, a drag out battle inside the trenches um and look he he made one of those really big plays in that first half that gave Michigan a quick score but if Iowa can make it look like that where they only give up two scores in the half and and they make them be big plays and not let Michigan be comfortable then that's a win for this defense so you know that as far as the battle of uh, Michigan's offense versus Iowa's defense I think it really just boils down to that. I mean, obviously Michigan has 
some pretty good receivers in the fold. And they'll always have a good tight end. Um, and they get their backs mixed up in the passing game as well, um, which is how they move the ball down the field. But we've seen this song and dancing before with, with great offensive talent in the passing game and Iowa being able to mitigate it, um, or just great offensive talent in general and Iowa being able to mitigate it. Um, ultimately, I think this game comes down to whether or not Iowa can actually score points, you know, outside of defensive, defensive making plays or special teams making plays. Um, Listen, we just talked about the beginning of the pod. <sighs> Iowa's offense has looked better the past couple weeks against a Rutgers team and Nevada, um, and improved Rutgers defense um, to give all credit where credit's due. But still, um, it's hard to shake off the fact that heading into Nevada, they did only score 14 points in, in two weeks, um, and it, it's hard to shake off you know seeing some of the plays that we're still seeing and a lot of the three and outs that we're still seeing and just a lot of the very uncharacteristic bad blocking that we're still seeing um now four games in um the good news i think comparing this michigan defense to last year's michigan defense is that this michigan defense is not the same level as last year um you know they they obviously lost aiden hutchinson um i am blanking on their linebacker um pass rusher guy who ended up getting hurt during his pro day Oh my gosh, well, I'm blanking so hard on them. I would have to do a quick. I'm totally forgetting. I tried to block totally out as much of, of the things from last year as possible after that Big Ten title game. <laughs> I just remember him making so many splash plays. I really liked him as a player, and I, I don't. I actually feel bad. Um, it was a really sad story. If anybody knows, um, during his pro day, not even the combine, a pro day, he was going through workouts, and he just something with a lower body injury. I think maybe it was a broken ankle. I could be wrong there, but hold on. I'm going to broken pro day Michigan football player. <laughs> Just doing a generic Google. I have to figure David Ajabo. Um, really good edge rusher last year for them and, and past two years before them, uh, before that. And, um, yeah, but anyway, moving on as we kind of go down that rabbit hole. Again, this is just the Michigan defense. It doesn't stylistically look as dangerous and as hyper-aggressive as last year. I mean, they still got players. Um, they have quite a few. It's a veteran lineup for sure, um, and they do fly around the field. You can see athleticism starting to build on Michigan's team. I mean, this is no longer 7-5, 8-4 uh, Michigan anymore. This is a, definitely a contender. Um but I don't think this defense is going to carry them as much as it did last year. You know, when they get in those big matchups against the Penn States of the world and Ohio State. And um, unfortunately for us, you know, we don't have those offenses. <laughs> Iowa's offense is what they are. But how do you think Iowa's offense fares against this Michigan lineup? It's just, as you said, it, they're not the same defense that they were last year. And it's really hard to judge them so far this year when you look at I mean, they've played Colorado State and UConn, who are two of the worst teams in the country. Um, I mean, just really, really bad. So, I mean, they did what they are supposed to do. They gave up seven total points in those two games. Um, Hawaii's not very good. They gave up 10 points in that game. You know, so you look at that Maryland game and you see what they gave up against Maryland. And I, I don't know, the jury's still out on Maryland. I'm not sold that. Would not wouldn't it be the first time that they start off the season? Hey, here's Maryland. You know, they've got it figured out. Uh, and then they lose like five of their last six because that's what, what Maryland's really good at. So I, I just don't know. I as you said, I think they're athletic. Uh I think they just as an entire group do a really good job of flying to the football, being really active and being really disruptive. That's something I think Michigan's defensive scheme is really disruptive. Iowa's scheme is very simple and super effective. This they do what they do. It's it's a a base look most of the time. You know, cover four, cover six, uh, cloud coverage. But Michigan is just going to come at you with different looks, different angles, and they're going to really put a premium on a young offensive line. This is the part that I'm really concerned about a young offensive line being able to communicate and know what to do in those situations. Who's got who I, I'm, I'm worried about the fact that 
that they could send people from different spots in the offensive line, miscommunicate, not just lose one-on-one battles, but miscommunicate. And then there's free rushers. And then there's, you know, strip sacks, there's um, interceptions, there's things like that. That's the part that, that I think Michigan really presents the most problems with. This year, it's not personnel as much as it is the way their scheme works. And a little bit like Penn State is sometimes, where that scheme just brings guys from different spots and they they make plays based on that. That's the part when I watch Michigan in this defense that I think they have the ability to do that. And, you know, like I said, though, you know, they went against two really bad teams. Well, now they're going against a really bad offense. So I don't I don't know after this game if we'll know much about them. But looking at this game specifically, that's the part that I'm really interested in watching is how will off- Iowa's offensive line handle the different looks that Michigan is going to bring throughout this game. Do you think Iowa's offense um, without like an assist from the special teams or defense can score 14 points in this game? Yeah, I think they can get 14. That's probably about where I'd put the cap at for this is, um, is two touchdown scoring drives. Uh, They might get three scores on a touchdown and two field goals. But I don't see the offense being able to generate, you know, 14 point more than 14 points on their own without a change in what we've seen so far or without some sort of anomaly with a big play uh, or something like that. Now, could Caleb Johnson break a big run? Yeah. Could Arlen Bruce shake a guy and, and make a big play? Yes. But it's going to be really tough for this offense to score more than 14 points on their own. Yeah, they would have to start in Michigan territory um, seven times to score 14 points, I think. <laughs> Just kidding. It's not that bad. I, I do think that um, they could score some touchdowns um, while starting on like 30 or 25 of, of you know, obviously their own um, side of the field. Um, that said, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle. especially When that offensive line's unstable like that, you know, it, it's just hard to generate offense because it really limits your playbook or at least – in the eyes of a Brian Ferentz, it limits your playbook. And, you know, you talked about Caleb Johnson breaking a play. I think that's doable in this game. You talked about Arlen Bruce potentially shaking it. I think he has the talent to do it. But how many times have we just seen him get manufactured out in space this this year so far? It's just not really a contingent of the offense. And if it's only twice or three times per game, the, the possibility of him breaking a big play is just it's not there. You have to give him at least 10 shots. You know, he should be leading the target share uh, of, you know, all the all the receivers out there, him and Sam Laporta, in my opinion. Um, And it's just it is what it is. And we have to kind of live with the fact that we know what Brian's offense is. um, And he has pulled some games out of his ass from time to time. USC comes to mind. Um, Ohio State with Nate Stanley comes to mind. Um, There are some games where it's just I don't know where has this always been, but regular season game against a pretty damn good defense. I mean, I don't see Iowa's offense doing much outside of maybe two drives and you got to make those two drives count. You know, you got to score touchdowns, um, to beat Michigan. Um, I do think this game could go down to be, you know, 21, 24 or, or 21, 18 or 21, 17. Uh, I totally could see it being that, that kind of way. Um, but the defense is going to have to play its butt off. And luckily, uh, again, we kind of talked about it. You know, a lot of Michigan fans are not proponents of Cade McNamara. You know, a lot of them are saying, you know, J.J. McCarthy's the five-star. He's obviously the more talented player. He's the more aggressive player. He's more confident. And, yeah, the, that those all those things are probably true. I would agree with that. But Cade McNamara is so conservative in his play that against a team like Iowa, he probably makes less mistakes. Um, I think JJ McCarthy is a mistake prone player. Uh, when you're playing a defense of like, like Iowa, who's going to force you to be disciplined and is going to stay disciplined in their own right. And I think, you know, two, three times in this game, we're going to see Iowa start, uh, around the 50 yard line or, or in Michigan territory, just because of that, just because of special teams. I mean, Tory Taylor pinning guys inside the five, that's a weapon. You know, if, if they get three and out inside the five, they're probably punting it to the 50 and then a return gets them in in Michigan territory. It's just about whether or not they can pick up yardage, give it to 
uh, the Stevens kid, man. Well, he's he's emerged as another fun special teamer for us, and um, definitely a boot. I, Iowa's offense just has to pick up, uh, you know, put together two solid drives, and I, I really do think if they are able to do that, Iowa can definitely win this game. And with those, Iowa's going to have to be able to just pick up a few first downs here and there to let, you know, to let that special teams work to to let Taylor be able to to pin him at the 10, at the seven, at the three. So the offense is going to have to generate some first downs. And hopefully some of the positive things we saw in the, especially the second half with Iowa's run game at Rutgers, hopefully we see some carry over there. We saw uh, just a better, more cohesive front. We saw some run lanes open up and Iowa's going to need that. They're going to need to be able to pick up two to three first downs per drive and help keep the defense off the field and and allow the defense to be in a situation where if they give up, you know, one 30-yard play that it is an automatic score or that it doesn't automatically put Michigan in the red zone. I was going to have to win the the field position battle and keep Michigan on a long field and to do that it's going to be incumbent on this offense to sustain some drives. And you talked about uh, some of Brian's best games. You talked about the Ohio State game, the USC game. Well, one thing those games all had in common were the defense forced turnovers and allowed the offense the opportunity to maybe take some shots or the opportunity to be a little creative because the defense either held off a score or gave them prime field position. And that was key in both of those games, the ability to create turnovers and allow your offense to have a little flexibility. If if this offense is in a situation where they're down 10-0 and they're facing third and eight over and over, it's going to be really a trub- a big trouble. And that's what we saw in the second half of the Big Ten Championship game is the offense wasn't able to sustain anything and the defense was out on the field over and over. Uh, you know, if Michigan gets a strip sack, if they get a, an interception in plus territory, now all of a sudden I was in a really tough situation and a situation that Michigan has, you know, not just the momentum, but really their entire arsenal, their disposal for play calls. And that's where Iowa could get themselves in trouble. So I was going to have to be super disciplined with the ball and find a way to, you know, create 20 to 30 yards on a big bulk of their drives to keep Michigan's offense off the field and also to allow them to utilize Torrey Taylor, not just trying to boot the ball 55, 60 yards, but to use his ability to stop the ball inside the 20. Yeah, he just been hitting like a wedge. You know, if you go to the 50-yard line, you get stopped, or you're at the 45 of your own yardage and you have to punt, those are perfect prime punting positions as far as Torrey Taylor is going to pin you inside the 10. You know, and that feels great to have that because not only does that force Michigan to potentially have to put together a 90-yard drive, but more than likely, there's going to be more uh, mistake-free or mistakes down there um, as far as Michigan's offense is concerned. Um, it's going to be harder when you're trying to stay in that long drive to actually materialize it into points somehow and let's make a big play. And that that's just how Iowa wins these regular season games, right? It's it's ugly brand of football. It's staying in the game for as long as you can until something happens. Um, it's just, I, that's I, how Iowa is, you know, it, it's control the time possession, maybe not win the time of possession, but at least make it even enough where you're at least running time off the clock and it's in your hands and they're not scoring points. And then the other side of it, let the defense work, let the special teams work. And, you know, maybe, you know, you defer um, right out the, right out the gate and then heading into halftime, you get a field goal and then you get the ball back right away. And all of a sudden it just feels like a, a fresh new game and a fresh new look at it. That's how Iowa wins these big time matchups. You know, it's not often you'll see the Ohio State um, thing where it's just like Ohio State gets rushed out of nowhere and it's a blitz, you know, it's 49 points all of a sudden out of nowhere and nobody sees it coming. That's not usually how Iowa wins those. Um, you know, Iowa wins those games where it's going to come down to the last possession. It's going to come down to ugly style boxing, ugly style football. Um, and this this game has it all written all over it as far as 
it's going to come down to, I think, Iowa playing clean on offense, not turning the ball over, and Michigan potentially not. I think that's ultimately what it comes down to because I think Iowa's defense is going to hold up their end like they always do, and I, and I trust Taylor to hold up his as well. The first half is just going to be so important for Iowa to be in a position where they don't have to be totally out of character for a half, where they can you know, play field position. I, w- I don't want to say wait, but just kind of force Michigan into a mistake at some point and then try to capitalize when they get that opportunity. If Michigan makes a mistake, Iowa has to capitalize on it. It's not going to be a, a it can't be a game where you force Michigan into a mistake and then after three plays you're just punting it back to them and a ball rolls into the end zone on a punt and now they're back to the 20 like no harm no foul. It you Iowa's going to have to make them pay if they turn it over, they've got to get a touchdown. They've got to find a way to be uh creative when they get past midfield you know when they get to the 40 yard line they're gonna have to make sure hey we've this has to be a scoring drive for us and they have to finish those out and can this Iowa team do it I hope so I I think we've seen enough progress that says maybe you know two weeks ago I would have said no chance but as you said this game for Iowa needs to be a, a low scoring fist fight in which both teams you know have some sloppy play maybe or both teams you know maybe it's one of those Michigan gets a deep shot on a crosser and he just overthrows him or gets dropped and that's what Iowa's going to need something like that because if they play 10 times Michigan's going to win eight or nine of them I think so can Iowa make it one of one or of those 10 that it works their way and it's a you know a, a 20 to 23 game a a 20 to 17 game, something like that. If they can find a way to make it that, then they've got a chance. If Corum's getting seven, eight yards and McCarthy's breaking pocket and able to hit guys in the zone after six seconds, then Iowa's going to be in trouble. Yeah. And, you know, I think I was just catching Michigan at the right time this year. You know, JJ McCarthy is, I think, will eventually figure it out. Um, that's a guy who screams NFL talent as far as just his, the zip he puts on the passes, his athleticism, um, his different arm slots, um, his confidence out there. But I don't think he's figured it out yet. You know, and I was playing a guy who hasn't figured it out and has all that reckless talent. And I think it's going to end up in, in some turnovers. If I said, if I set this imaginary line, I don't even know if you can really bet player props or college. But um, what if I set you know, the over under on turnovers. Um, so fumbles or interceptions for JJ McCarthy at one and a half. Are you taking the over or are you taking the under? Man, I'm hoping the over, uh, that's such a good number. I, I could see both happening so easy. I'm going to say over just because that's what I'm hoping for. Uh, and there's, there's (laughs) situations where, where Iowa can put him in that spot. I'm interested to see, does, does Michigan give him full reign to just play the way he plays um, and go be a playmaker? Or, oh, or they do, do they say, look, we need you. Uh, we're going to do some zone read. We need you to uh, hit crossers for five yards and, and let them try to get on a linebacker and break it for 12 to 15. So are they going to, that first quarter is going to be really interesting. Do they have the reins on him or not? And that's going to tell us a lot about what this Michigan staff thinks he's capable of doing in a in a big game against a, a really good defense. And on the road in Kinnick Stadium, you know, and especially for your, you know, third game of the season where you weren't even the solidified starter coming into the year. It's a big spot. And if they let him roll around like he was against Maryland and just making whatever throw he wanted and and just kind of free reign, go out there and make a play. Oh, I hope they do that. Because game, kind of like we alluded to with, you know, third down six and and Michigan picking up the ball, um, you know, Blake Corm running for six yards and picking up a first down and then moving the chains methodically. Good game managers against Iowa, just they kill us. It's the guys who, like a Brock Purdy, for example, or um, I'm trying to think of some other I, – I, other quarterbacks have really done a lot of damage, but it's the guys that are like the game managers 
that really are that can move the ball in five yard increments and six yard increments that really do the most damage to Iowa. And it's the guys who play like their heads on fire and the game's moving a thousand miles per hour that Iowa just blitzes and kills. I mean, you think of uh, when they played Michael Penix um, last year against Indiana. Another guy likes to get out the pocket, likes to be a gunslinger. I was just like, we're going to let you do that. And let's see how that turns out for you. Every single game against Brock Purdy over the years against Iowa State. We're going to let you do that. Let's see how it turns out for you. That's the kind of quarterback that really plays in Iowa's hands because Iowa's so disciplined. You know, you're not going to be able to just ad-lib on the fly outside the pocket 100% of the time and make plays those 10 times like you were against Maryland. There's going to be times where you try to get out the pocket and there was a play against Maryland where this happened where you're just going backwards and backwards and you're spinning and all of a sudden it's a 15-yard loss on a sack because you did that to yourself. Uh, When I saw that play, I was like, (laughs) I'm going to see that twice against Iowa. I know I am in some capacity. I just hope that you know, that's enough and it derails Michigan's offense enough to give Iowa's, you know, a chance. And it's okay to be suspect of his play after the Maryland game. Look, if you watched what Spencer Petrus did last year against Maryland um, and then said, hey, is that the quarterback that he is? You have two totally different answers uh, after watching him against Maryland and then watching him in most of the other games. So it's perfectly okay to be suspect and say, I want to see it against a really good defense. And maybe he plays really well. Like he he might, as you said, he's going to figure it out at some point. He's super talented. Uh, I think what Michigan has the opportunity to do with him with a good receiving core, with an excellent running back, with a really good offensive line, uh, you know, I think he has an extremely high ceiling. The question is going to be, is that ceiling, are we going to see that ceiling in Kinnick Stadium? Or are we going to see that ceiling, you know, later in the year when they play Ohio State? You know, at what point during the season does he start to approach that ceiling? And that's going to be the interesting thing to see because so far he hasn't played a defense that is going to force his hand at all. And this Iowa defense at times can really do that. So I'm interested to see what does the Michigan coaching staff allow him to do early? And then as the game goes, does that Michigan staff say, you know, we're just going to ride our run game and try to wear this out and, and score enough to beat Iowa? Or are they going to say, okay, here's the ball, um, go make a play for us. So that, that confidence that he gets from the coaching staff and what the plays they call for him is going to be something I'm really going to be keying on the first three to four drives. Yeah, logically speaking, you know, if an unpolished player finally looks polished and, and it's the first time and it happens in Kinnick Stadium against Iowa's defense, I mean, more power to you, but logically that's just not where it's going to happen. Yeah, tip the so cap I, I, I feel, tip the If he comes out there and he's winging the ball – you know, 25 of 30, no turnovers, three touchdowns for 300 yards, and he's running around for 40 yards. I mean, you're that's going to be his coming out party. That's what people will say. That's when it happened. Like, that's when J.J. McCarthy arrived. But based on what we've seen so far, the numbers look pretty decent, but the actual play itself has not really looked that polished and not overly – I don't want to say not overly inspiring because I think there's a lot of moments in those games where he he did inspire a lot of potential and and just belief in his talent, but it's just not there that if if the season was coming down to it and they had to play in a college football playoff that he would look well or look good out there against those top kind of teams. And I think Iowa's defense, you know, speak on Iowa how you will as as far as the overall team aspect is concerned, but that defense it plays with anybody. Um, it's just that whether or not the Iowa's offense can give them enough rest in between, not turn the ball over, keep them off the field as long as they can, and when the defense is on the field, if they can just make the plays that they always do, um, it's a very winnable game for Iowa. And I think as we kind of wrap this up, let's talk about prediction. You know, I, spread, I brought it up on my – and this is, I'm looking at DraftKings here. I brought it up on my phone. Um, opening the spread I'm seeing right now as of Monday – um, when we're recording this at 9:40 Central Time, uh, it is 10 and a half. 
money line plus 320 for Iowa. Um, and the over-under is set at 42 and a half. So very similar over-under based on what we're kind of um, been experience, um, experiencing with Iowa over the years. It's going to always be in that 38 to 43 range. Um, it seems like maybe even 36 sometimes. <laughs> but um, what's really interesting is, listen, 10 and a half, that double digit sounds like so many points. But that's not even two touchdowns, y'all. I mean... Iowa can't score touchdowns the first two weeks and they're still getting that line. I think that's kind of Vegas saying, Hey, listen, we expect Iowa to put up at least 14 and, and we don't expect Michigan to do a crazy amount of damage the same way they did in the big 10 title game. Um, I think, you know, worst kind of scenario for Iowa, this game turns into like a, a 28 to 10, but I think it's going to be more in that five, um, point range, four to five point range, either way. And I'll, I'll make my prediction right now. I think Iowa wins. Uh, I think they win 20 to 17, two field goals in there. I think, um, a setup fumble because JJ McCarthy carries that ball around. Like he's again, Michael Vick, when he's not Michael Vick, I think this is going to be a teaching moment for him. And one of those games he reflects on and says, damn it. Like, I can't wait to get my revenge on the Iowa. And I bet at some point down the road, he probably does, but it's not going to be this game. And I think that turnover is going to kill them. I think they're going to set up Iowa's offense with those turnovers. And it's going to be an ugly, sloppy game where on two drives, I was able to score points. And on two drives for Michigan, maybe Corum goes crazy. You know, I think Corum is going to have 200 yards of total offense. And I think that um, they only amount to 17 points because that's what Iowa's MO has always been. That's such a good prediction. That's such a good prediction. And look, Kinnick Stadium, you're a top five team and you come into Kinnick Stadium. Uh, It traditionally does not end well. Iowa's won five of their last six against... Nope, there we go. Uh, A little computer malfunction there for a second. Sorry. Uh, it does not go well for those teams. Uh, the only time one of those teams won was a last-second completion by Penn State in the game we referenced earlier. That's it. Uh, otherwise, those teams show up and they go home a loser and a sad loser. And I would love to to have the confidence to pick that. I'm just not there yet. Um, I worry about this offense generating enough points, and I worry about Corum or Ronnie Bell making a big play. And my concern is that two big plays might be enough for Michigan to capitalize. I think this is a game that's pretty close uh, throughout, you know, three quarters, but I fear this Iowa defense is just on the field too much and Michigan is able to make a couple plays, uh, big plays and score kind of like not as bad as the big 10 championship game was, but in that, in that way where Iowa's offense has to do something out of character, it's a turnover, it's an easy score. Um, and and Michigan ends up winning. So I I'm concerned with Iowa's offense. I my prediction is I think it's something in that like 27 to 13 range where Iowa, you know, gets some drives that end in a field goal or maybe uh a, a goal line or red zone fumble or interception or something where Iowa has to go for fourth down from inside the five and doesn't get it. I think Iowa moves the ball and we continue to see some positive things from the offense. I just don't feel like against a team like Michigan that they're going to be able to put all the pieces together for four quarters. That's fair. You know, and in my prediction, I I would say that, you know, the offense as a whole probably totals either at 200 yards or under 200 yards and they still get it done. Because again, I think this game is just going to be so sloppy and it's going to come down to two drives on either side. You know, it's whether or not Michigan can, you know, chunk yardage against his Iowa defense or if they just live on the explosive plays when they happen. You know, um, that's how I, I and I, I'll, I'm putting my money where my mouth is and I'm going to be in Vegas <laughs> for the Iowa game this weekend. I'm I'm going to be betting money line. I'm going to definitely be betting 10 and a half more in money line, obviously, just because, you know, they're giving me that many points. OK, um, but no, it's it's one of those things where. Yes, it's kind of like a homerish prediction, and I have already kind of talked myself into envisioning that 2017 happening. 
But it, it's it's a reality when you look at these top teams when they come into Kinnick and it just feels sloppy and there's going to be drive after drive, punt after punt after punt in the middle of it. I mean, Michigan might start off really hot and score a touchdown on the opening drive. I wouldn't be surprised there. And then maybe the next drive, they get their, they get a field goal. They go up 10-0. And then right before halftime, Iowa scores a field goal to make it 10-3. And then, you know, in the second half, they might score one touchdown to make it. It's a 10-point game. So at one point, it might feel like, oh, well, this is going to be a floodgates are open, and Michigan's moving the ball the first two possessions. But, again, Iowa's defense is taxing when they hit you. You know, it's not an easy defense to move the ball on. And when you do move the ball on them, they're going to hit you. So as fatigue wears in, Iowa's offense isn't going to move the ball regardless. And as the game grows on, they're probably more likely to move the ball against a more tired defense than a energetic um, defense like Michigan on the road right at the gate. I think this is one of those games that as it drags on, it's just whether or not Iowa can sustain two drives of their own on offense and can you know score two touchdowns somehow. Because um, I do think they'll get their field goals when they can, especially looking at Steven's leg. And, um, yeah, that's just kind of how I see this game playing out, to be honest. And it's also why I said I'm so interested to see what the Michigan coaches do with McCarthy, what they allow him to do. Because if they're forcing Corum into 16, 17 first-half touches – and I was able to keep him in the box for the most part. You know, he's he's going to make some plays. But if they're able to keep him in the box for the most part, and he's got 15 to 18 touches at halftime, as you said, that that wears on you. And that's something that, you know, might take the legs out of one of those big runs in the second half, which easily could be the difference in this game. You know, him breaking one or two of those big plays. So if Iowa can find a way to make that happen... Uh, they're going to be in this. And it's just, it's really hard to imagine this defense giving up, you know, 24 first half points. And, you know, so, okay, worst case, worst case, you know, if, if we see that is if Iowa can keep this okay in striking distance, maybe get the ball in the second half, then there's hope. And in a game like this, with this, you know, very limited Iowa offense, if they can just hang around and find a way to put some extra pressure on Michigan and have Harbaugh over there saying, you know, not this again, we're letting, letting them in this again, just like we did last time, you know, that they start to tighten up. You have a quarterback that hasn't been in that situation very often. And, you know, that's when the mistakes happen. And that's when all of a sudden there's a tip ball and, and Riley Moss is running down the sideline scoring on a big play that, it just went from 10 to three and there's eight minutes left and holy cow, Iowa has a chance again. It's, it's absolutely true. I I mean, listen, these Michigan players weren't around when, um, Iowa beat Michigan. Um, uh, when they came to town last time for that night game. Um, but it's still one of those things where I guarantee you Harbaugh has mentioned that he's never beat Iowa at Kinnick and, I'm guarantee you those those people those, some of these players in Michigan at least know of that Iowa game when uh, Keith Duncan won that for him. Um, it's one of those things where it starts to set in. It, it starts if it's fourth quarter and you're down they're down three maybe four points and it's just like well we're not moving the ball well. Um, we only have ten points of off on offense. I, I mean we got to make something happen and that, as it continues to not happen that's when the mistakes come out or you have a, a guy like a, a trace McSorley or a Saquon Barkley who say, now it's time for me to show up and do what I got to do. And they make plays, but I don't see that at JJ McCarthy yet. I don't know if he has a maturity level to actually possess that ability yet. He, he kind of seems frantic to me. Um, regardless, it's going to be a fun game. I'm excited. And I think Michigan's a good team. And I think as the season goes on, they'll only get better. Um, but other than that, that is there anything else you kind of wanted to talk about um, before we sign off here? Not, not really. I think we hit all the big, the big keys. It's going to be interesting. Iowa appears to, you know, be lacking some depth in the secondary right now with some injuries. And then you add, I haven't heard the update yet, but I know as of Saturday they said it wasn't looking super positive for Justin Jacobs. So that really limits what Iowa can do and 
and kind of forces their hand with some lineups. So that part is a bit of a concern for me that Iowa's going to lose one of their best athletes, especially uh, a guy who can make plays in the box and a really good tackler out in open space. So Iowa's going to be stretched a little bit thin, which is just, again, why it's so important for this offense to generate some first downs and keep this defense from having to play 75 or 80 plays. Absolutely agree. And um, I'm sure we'll be texting during the game, Thad, just kind of keeping tabs and talking about what's going on. Hopefully it's positive and not doomsday of Fire Brian and Ben Spencer. And <laughs> hopefully we're just like, wow, Spencer's really turning around. And wow, Brian really pulled this game out of his ass. Hopefully we're kind of saying that instead of the other way around. But um, other than that, guys, um, we are going to sign off here. Um, thank you all for listening. As always, I mean, the, the viewership numbers we've accumulated the past, you know, three, three years, two years. Um, we've been doing this. I don't even know. It, it feels like this kind of blurred together, but y'all always show up and it's really awesome um, to see those numbers continue on, on Spotify and all the streaming platforms that we have out there. Um, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Rob DFB. And as always, for that, you can follow him at T Nels 20. Um, really great follows guys so go over there and hit the follow button enjoy some passing charts enjoy some sad tweeting on saturday and sunday from me and (laughs) other than that um we will see you all in a future podcast take it easy